Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 158, and we're going to talk about the Project Van Life Summit, an online event that just happened, and I wish I knew about it earlier so I could have told you about it ahead of time. We're also going to talk about the benefits of Coroplast, a building material, a tale from the road involving a very old airplane, and a product review of a 12-volt electric blanket that I think could actually work for you. No, seriously, this thing is kind of cozy and nice. I like it. Anyway, welcome back. A couple of announcements here. I am off to Africa this week, I think. I'm supposed to leave for Africa on Friday, March third or whatever the heck the date is and uh that trip is actually kind of up in the air so i'm not sure if i'm going and so as to avoid the problem i had with the antarctica trip where i had this disaster of trying to record in the field i'm not going to do that or at least i'm not going to do it the same way so here's what's going to happen i'm releasing this episode late on purpose there's a reason for that and then the normal wednesday episodes will just happen i'm going to pre-record them so the episode you hear two weeks from now will actually have been recorded this week and that doesn't matter but i will also be doing africa content and i will release that as bonus episodes i don't know why i didn't think of this before it makes perfect sense everybody gets what they want the people who don't care about that stuff don't have to listen and the people who do can Makes sense, yes? That's a bit more work for me, but uh, that's okay. So, that said, let's get on with this rather difficult topic I wish to discuss with you. Last week, I participated in the Project Van Life Summit. Now, Project Van Life is, as they say, a van life community for nomads and enthusiasts. And, okay, yeah, that counts, that's me. And... Project Van Life, I don't think I've ever talked about this uh, on the podcast before, but it's a big website with all kinds of stuff on it. There's a blog. It's the home of Van Life Academy, which I have talked about or at least tried to. They have a marketplace, more on that later, and they have a forum. So it's kind of like one-stop shopping for Van Life. At least that's what they're trying to be. And I have messed around on their site. The blog has, you know, bloggy stuff. The forum is actually fairly decent. You can go in there and interact with people. I mean, it's basically old-fashioned at this point, I think. It's, it's kind of like what Facebook groups have replaced or Reddit or Discord or whatever, but it's fine. It's very easy to access and it's very linear, so you don't have to worry about missing anything. And then the marketplace is about buying and selling vans and selling your services and things like that. But you will notice as you click through Project Van Life that there are lots of ads. In, in fact, it, it's really all about ads, in my opinion. The whole Project Van Life seems to be a project for ads, and I'm going to talk more about that as we get along. Back on topic here, Project Van Life, this organization put on something called Van Life Summit, which was kind of an online van meetup, which I think is a great idea. Unfortunately, I didn't find out about it until two days before I needed to record this episode. And, well, I really wanted to include it in this episode, but I had to wait in order to do that. That's why I'm releasing this episode on Saturday instead of Wednesday, because it took that long to get what I needed. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Van Life Summit is 
an event over three days where there are three different stages, virtual stages, and each stage has a talk. And each one of those talks has something to do with van life. There's how to build your vans, how to, how to establish a budget, how to maintain your mental health. There are topics all over the place. And better, it was free. Anybody could attend the Project Van Life Summit and watch whatever they wanted. And they even had the ability to replay those things for a few days. Now, if you want to maintain access to those videos, well, then you have to pay. And before the event, it was $37. Now it's $57. And that gives you an all-access pass, which lets you view the videos anytime you'd like. Okay, that's the basic setup. One of the really nice things about an event like this is that you get to interact with the speakers, sometimes. Uh, for example, there was a gentleman on who was very knowledgeable about Victron electronic components, which is something that's an important thing to be, because Victron stuff is very complicated, although very good. And people were able to ask him direct questions about specific pieces of equipment, and that kind of access is pretty rare. So that was a really nice thing. However, other talks were mostly just sales. And, and this is going to be the theme for this review of Project Van Life Summit is it seemed to be all about sales. When you register for the summit, I found out they add you to mailing lists and then you get mail about things that are tangentially related. But I don't remember agreeing to be on all these mailing lists. And the ads just never end. Now, I bought the All Excess Pass and the bonus package, which was another $17, that came with, quote-unquote, a bunch of free books. And when I signed up, I got this email. Congratulations, unknown. Because they didn't know who I was, apparently. You have successfully unlocked the All Access Pass, which includes $550 of bonuses. There's a swag bag, they called it, and... Well, I'm sorry to say that the content of the swag bag, while it sounds good, is actually really not very good. It, it comes with a van life starter kit, a van life overnight camping guide, van life binder to get you started with van life easily, nomad starter kit, showering on the road handbook, how 25 nomads make money while living on the road, and so on and so on. And when you click through these quote-unquote books, what you'll find is that they're basically brochures. There's very little in them. For example, all the ways to shower in van life, which, all right, that does sound like a topic that wouldn't fill a whole book, but it's 12 pages long, and almost every page is an ad. <laughs> Want to learn more? Click here for our online course. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like all these freebies are actually just teasers to get you to take this Van Life Academy course, which they have. Now, when Van Life Academy, which is a series of courses that this couple developed, first came out, I asked the owners if they would let me review it, and they said no. <laughs> so I, I can't really talk very much about what the content is inside of Van Life Academy because they won't let me see it, and it's very expensive. And sure, I'll spring $37 for you guys, but I'm not going to spring a few hundred, so sorry. So I can't really talk about it, but the tone of everything with Project Van Life is buy more, buy more, buy more, buy more. And then when you do, it's like, okay, but you really want to buy this other thing too. Oh, and then buy this other, and it's never ending. 
And ah, I find it very disappointing. Anyway, that set aside, if you can get past all the endless selling, is the event worth doing? Well, you missed this year. So if you want to see this year's, you have to do the All Access Pass. That is unless you can find the URLs to the YouTube videos, because apparently the way they're doing this is just a bunch of unlisted YouTube videos. If you can find those somewhere, okay. But if not, the way you're supposed to do it is to pay $57, and then you'll get access to this software that's set up like a course, and then there's a video in each class, basically. And then you can watch the videos. And some of them are very, very good. And others of them are just terrible. More than one of them had a title like, what is van life or how to do van life or something like that. Something geared towards a newbie. But then the speaker wouldn't actually address the topic. All they would do is tell you why you should buy their product, why you should upfit your van with them. And they just didn't answer the topic at all. In other videos, there was a host who was basically interviewing people, but it wasn't like a prepared presentation. It was just somebody asking some questions, and it's the general interview stuff you'd get on a podcast, such as, when did you start van life? What's been your biggest challenge? And while that's all interesting and good, that isn't something I think you should pay for. So... It's $37. Uh, I'm sorry, it's now $57. That's not a tiny amount of money. What would you get if you did that? And the answer is, is that if you're somebody who wants something curated for you, like you want someone to hand you, read this, do this, it might be of some value. But the truth is that there is nothing in any of these talks that I could find that isn't already in a YouTube video. I mean, this stuff is basically already out there on YouTube. And I don't mean the actual talks from the Van Life Summit. I just mean that the content from different speakers or whatever, the information is out there on YouTube. Now, are you the kind of person that doesn't want to take a lot of time and watch 17 videos on a topic to try to find the actual information you need? Then this might be good for you. But I think for me, I don't think I'll spend any more money with these folks. I, I just don't see the value there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like poo-pooing other people's projects. I mean, Project Van Life was well-received by a lot of the people in there. I could tell from the chat that people were very excited to have access to this information. But honestly, I feel like if you're a dedicated YouTuber, you're going to get better information and more diverse information than you're going to get from something like Project Van Life Summit. Now, would I do it again? Well, next year, I will probably attend as a guest, uh, not a speaker. I mean, there is a way to apply to be a speaker, and I thought about it, but I'll tell you why I decided not to in a minute. But next year, I probably will attend for free, because the one thing they can offer during the live event that you can't find anywhere else is a chance to interact directly with the people speaking. And sometimes that's the only access you'll get. The other thing they offer is when people force content on you, you see things you may not see on your own. For example, I watch some people speaking about topics that I just generally am not that interested in, but that was what was available at that time. And I did learn some stuff and got some new perspectives, and that was super valuable. So a couple other comments. Um, and I'm uncomfortable with this, but I am here to tell the truth the best as I can. And well, this is the truth. I found the technology for Project Van Life incredibly frustrating. 
once you watched a video, that video would just end, and then you would just be lost in the wilderness. It wasn't like there was one central place to go from video to video. You had to go back and log in again, and their login system is this bizarre thing where it has to email you a link every time. So now I have dozens and dozens of links in my email. And they kept sending me all these weird emails from the past that, like, they were post-dated or... I don't know what's going on, but that's not even my biggest concern. Technology is a hassle. I get it. I can overlook it. Now, I had more than one person contact me, more than one, to tell me that there are some questionable practices on the back end at Project Van Life. Now, I'm not going to go into any details, and I'm not going to go into any specifics, I promise, but... Basically, they don't treat their content creators very well. At least that's what I was told. And I have a problem with that. I do. And so that's not something I I necessarily want to get involved in. I also have a problem that when I emailed for help, I just really couldn't get any. Uh, Sometimes I would get an email and usually it was snarky uh, or didn't answer the question. I kept telling them that they were sending out emails that were just wrong And they didn't seem to care or they would blame it on me, (laughs) which like you sent me an email from three months ago today. I don't understand anyway. So that's the bottom line. I I feel bad not giving a perfectly glowing review of, of this Project Van Life Summit because I think it's a great idea. I love the idea. But this seemed so commercially driven that everything seemed to be about getting money out of you that... Well, it really made me long for more of the rubber tramp rendezvous kind of thing where everything is free, everyone bring what you can, take what you can, let's all share our knowledge. I really like that model better. And, uh, well, who knows? Maybe there'll be something like that in the future to compete with Project Van Life Summit. But, hey, if it sounds at all interesting to you, there's no harm in checking it out. I'll have a link in the show notes. And you can buy the all-access pass, and then maybe you will see stuff completely differently than me. That's always possible. Or maybe you are exactly the person who just gets lost in the sea of YouTube. I don't even know where to search because there's so much content. This might be useful for you. So, take everything I say with a grain of salt. I'm just one guy with one guy's opinion. But, there it is. Tech Talk. Let's talk about... Chloroplast. Yes, not chloroplasts. Chloroplasts are the things in leaves that make them green. <laughs> Chromoplasts are the things in leaves that make them red or yellow, but all right. Back on topic, Choroplast. Choroplast is a brand name for a kind of plastic that has holes in it, uh, kind of like channels, that is often used for pol- politician signs. <laughs> you probably have some choroplast with you right now. And if, uh, well, you know, we're having an election here in Chicago, as I say this, and yeah, there's choroplast everywhere. By the way, taking those signs down after there's an election, I consider to be a public service and could also possibly help you with your van build. Choroplast stands for corrugated plastic, and it's this amazing stuff. It is basically, it's two sheets of plastic with joists in between them. I'm using the wrong term, I'm sure, but it's a very lightweight, very strong plastic construction. It's so strong that people make boats out of this stuff. There's a folding origami kayak that's made out of this stuff. It's great stuff, and people have done entire van builds 
just out of this. It's incredibly lightweight and very strong, and you can build all your cabinets out of this stuff if you're creative. And all you do is you take Gorilla Tape and tape it together. Tape the Coraplast together in the shape you need, and voila, you have a durable thing. <laughs> now, does it look good? It's a, you know, it, it can. I mean, it's, it's, it's plastic. It's functional. This is definitely a function over form thing, but at some level, it could be kind of attractive too, because it's kind of cool to see what people do with it. Now, Coroplast is the brand name. There's there's other names for it. And you can get this at, at Home Depot. You can buy it in 4x8 sheets. You can buy it in smaller sheets. But it does tend to be a little expensive. For example, Walmart has it. And for 50 bucks, you can get 25 sheets that are 18 by 24 uh, So it's 2 bucks a sheet of 18 by 24 and you need a few sheets to make a cabinet for example. But it's something to be aware of. It's also a good material if you want to make window covers. It's a nice, lightweight, firm material that lets light through, and you can actually make window covers with this stuff. It does provide a little bit of insulation, and it lets light through. Or you can just use it to put, like, Reflectix over and make a nice, solid, well-built window cover with it. So... I have not used it for anything specific. I have some things made out of it, but I definitely want you to be aware that this is a thing that exists. And you can find it in Home Depot in the aisle that has like the fancy sheet goods and there's usually metal sheets in there and plastic plexiglass sheets too. So look for it in there. People have used it to make tents, houses, boats, airplanes, geodesic domes, almost anything. And, uh, well, heck, you could too. And I'll have a link in the show notes to kind of get you started on looking for that stuff. Tales from the Road. So way back, I think it was 1976, my folks and I took a trip to Florida, brought my cousin along, and we found ourselves in Key West. Which, you know, it's Key West. Key West is a difficult place to find, a place to park a van, but it's a really interesting place to visit. And, uh, you know, we did our Key West stuff, but for some reason, (laughs) I don't really understand this, on a Sunday during the trip, my dad decided that he wanted to go to Marathon Key. Now, Marathon Key is kind of like halfway up in the Keys, and it's called Marathon Key, Because it's 26.1 miles long. It's the length of a marathon. It's a pretty big key. And even though we had a car, he decided uh, we weren't going to drive because it was fairly far. We were going to fly. So we're going to fly from Key West Airport to Marathon Key, which it turns out did have an airport. The thing is, the airplane that flew between Key West and Marathon Key, as you might expect, was a little smaller than your typical commercial plane. At least your typical commercial plane of the 70s. In fact, we got on the typical commercial plane of the 40s, maybe the 50s. It was a DC-3. Now, if you don't know your planes, that is okay. You have seen a DC-3 before. It is one of the most successful planes in the world. They were flown all through World War II and the Korean War and still fly today. It's just that successful of an airframe. And um, they have square windows on the sides, which tells you just how old this plane is. It's a small plane. It seats maybe 30 people. It has two wings, you knew that part, and an engine on each wing, a propeller engine, and has a funny little antenna on top that looks like a 1970s TV antenna from a limo, which looks like a boomerang on a stick, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, we get on the plane, and I notice something's immediately different from most planes. First off... 
There are air sickness bags everywhere. I mean, I've seen air sickness bags on airplanes before, but there were lots of them. So I was like, oh, okay. The other thing I noticed was that the floor that you were walking on to get to your seat was tilted. This plane is what's called a tail dragger. That is that when the plane lands, it doesn't sit flat. The tail descends until it hits the runway. So when the plane is sitting on the runway, it actually looks like it's it's taking off. Its nose is pointing towards the air. And yet when you walked into your seat after getting on the plane, you kind of had to hold onto the seats and walk down this ramp and then plop in your seat. And so we did, and we took off, and we flew to Marathon, and we were fairly low, so it was nice view out the windows and stuff. And the flight took, I think it was about 45 minutes. It wasn't a very long flight at all. And then we landed, and of course, we did not do what's called a three-point landing, where you land with all your wheels touching at the same time. We landed the normal way, which was just to have the big wheels under the wings hit the ground first, and then we taxied a bit, and then, oof, the back of the plane fell and hit the ground, and we were once again sitting next to this ramp that went up to the front of the plane rather than a level floor. Different, and at one time that was normal. So you know, it was kind of fun. I was a nine-year-old kid, and you know, I was having a lot of fun with this. So we get off the plane in Marathon, Florida, Marathon Key, and we're in this airport, and nothing. There's nothing there. It's this little tiny airport, and so we got a cab, found a payphone, <laughs> called a cab, and went into town, such that it was, and. Everything was closed. The entire town was closed. After all, it was Sunday. So we wandered around for about an hour doing absolutely nothing because there was literally nothing to do. And then we decided, well, I guess we should go back to the airport. So we got another cab, but the cab wouldn't actually take us to the airport. They'd only take us to the gate. (laughs) So we dropped us off at the gate and it was like a mile to the terminal. And so we start walking and walking, and then this massive Winnebago motorhome comes up behind us, beeps his horn, and stops. And the guy comes out and opens the door and says, hey, you want a ride? You just, you're just going to the terminal, right? And we're like, yeah. And he said, oh, pile in. And that, folks, is how I got my very first ride in a Winnebago on Marathon Key. <laughs> I don't remember a whole lot of it. We were in the thing for maybe five minutes, but he did indeed drive us to the terminal and we got out and thanked him and hopped on the plane and flew back to Key West. I am still a bit confused about this trip. I don't know why it happened, but I'm glad it did. Product review. All right, I've talked about this before. I haven't been really keen on this idea, but I thought I'd better try it out for myself. So I bought a 12-volt electric blanket from Amazon, and I've been using it with my Awanfi 500 battery to see how it works, because I'm trying to find a sustainable solution for staying warm at night without trying to use too much other stuff. Like, what if you don't have a diesel heater? How can you stay warm at night? So let me tell you about my experience with this thing. First off, there's a lot of 12-volt electric blankets out there. You have to be a little bit careful when you buy one. You don't want to buy the cheapest one because um, of the few people I know who've been in house fires, several of them have been in house fires because of electric blankets. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but electric blankets are basically the same technology as a toaster oven. There's just a wire running through them that 
connects to a battery at both ends and heats up. It's all based on resistance. And if any damage happens to that wire, yeah, there can be problems. So my first piece of advice is if you're going to do this is buy a washable blanket. Not only is it good because it's washable and they not all of them are, but that also means it's more durable because in order to go through the washing machine, it has to be durable enough. And when you do wash this thing, make sure you do it on gentle because they are still full of stuff that can get damaged. Now, the one I got is the iHealth Comfort, and I am going to give it a positive review. I really, really like this thing. It's about 40 bucks right now, which is maybe double as much as the cheapest ones. But again, this is not a thing to cheap out on. Now, one thing about electric blankets that are 12 volts is they are not the same size as ones for your bed. This one's only 55 inches long by 39 inches across. So this is not something that would cover your whole bed, but it doesn't need to. All you really need to do is have this like over your feet and then up your body and that's enough to keep you warm. And this thing really, really does get warm. It has high, medium, and low settings, and it also has 30, 45, and 60-minute timers, which is great. I always use the timer just so I don't accidentally leave it on. But how well does it work with a battery? Now, my idea is that I don't want to drain my house battery with an electric blanket. Because in a situation where you're going to use an electric blanket, you're probably going to be having a hard time recharging your batteries with solar. Because it's going to be in the winter usually, and there's less solar. You see how that works. So my idea is you don't use the electric blanket with your main battery. You use it with a portable battery. So it's its own little system. You have that battery and the electric blanket, and that's it. And I will tell you, I was able to use my electric blanket for 10 hours with my Awanfi 500, which is comparable to, say, a Jackery 500. And that would be without touching my battery inside the van, without touching my leisure battery. So that's pretty encouraging. Now, of course, the challenge is how do you charge that battery during the day, and then you're back to all the same problems of, you know, how exactly do you charge it? That's always the thing. But proof of concept? Yeah, it worked. The blanket itself is very comfortable. It's a little annoying. I mean, it has a cord coming out of it with buttons on it that you can get wrapped up in. There's just nothing you can do about that. I mean, it has to have a cord. But it kept me warm, and it wasn't annoying in any way. And I found that if I put a light blanket over it and I left it on low, yeah, I could get 12 hours out of it easy with just my battery. So I recommend it. I will put a link in the show notes. It's the iHealth Comfort 12-volt washable electric heated travel blanket with intelligent high, medium, low temp, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes auto-off timer and multifunctional controller. Holy cow. And it's uh, gray on one side and navy blue on the other because, you know, that matters. A place to visit. You know, there's sometimes you need to just go somewhere just to see something weird. For me, that's like every day. But if you're ever in Wyoming, specifically near Lander, Wyoming, and honestly, I don't know why you would be, because Lander is... uh, (laughs) Lander is an old Lakota word meaning nowhere. No, I made that up. But Lander is in central Wyoming, a little bit to the west, and there's nothing there. There's no interstates. There's no other towns of any size. I mean, Riverton's there and the Popo Agle wilderness area. But no, really, this is uh, Lander. Lander is real Wyoming, shall we say. 
So if you happen to find yourselves there on US 287, perhaps, there's a place you have to check out. It very well may be the only place. And that is the Fremont County Pioneer Museum. Now, all these places are interesting to me. There's, they always have old artifacts and stuff, and, and I love all of them. I mean, the little tiny museum in Beatty, Nevada is one of my favorite places. So this is my kind of a place. But this place has some uh, fairly um, interesting things. For example, they have the noose that was used to hang a criminal, uh, and apparently it was the only legal hanging in the county Ever. There have been plenty of hangings. This is the only one that was legal. And uh, yeah, if you're so inclined, you can go see the noose that actually killed this uh, person. And uh, they also have, um, you know, your, your basic two-headed lamb. You've got to have a couple of those if you can. And uh, But the real, the real attraction, the real pièce de résistance at uh, this museum is the skull of Harvey Morgan. So... The legend, and you know how these legends go, the legend is that Harvey and two of his compadres were out prospecting, and they were set upon by native forces and, and killed. And apparently, um, Harvey must have really angered them somehow, uh, because instead of just killing him, they drove a railroad spike through his head. Um, and it's a little bit odd. It's, it's not just a spike. It's kind of like a hammer made out of a spike. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to see the picture, because, yeah, there's also a big hatchet hole in his skull, but the point is the skull is there on display with the spike still sticking through his head. And um, they kind of found it by accident. (laughs) Apparently, when this, this battle happened in Lander, they just buried the men there. And then many years later... In 1907, they were digging trenches for the water system and and found a skeleton. And because of the spike going through the skull, they knew it was Harvey Morgan. Now, how much of that is true? I don't know. (laughs) But I do know that they have a skull with a spike sticking through it on display there. And hey, if that's the thing you want to see... Well, get thee to Lander, Wyoming. And uh, boy, plan your trip well, because look at the map. Lander is really not near much. But I I really don't know any place where you can see something like that. Oh, except I do. And I'll talk about that in a future episode. Resource Recommendation So, yeah, you don't talk so much about apps to find spaces to park anymore because of the iOverlander problem, which is that if you put a place on iOverlander, it often gets so overrun that it no longer becomes a place to stay. And I've had that happen to me, and I don't know what to do about it. But I am going to mention this other resource for folks who use these apps, and I still use them too. Um, But this one is called HipCamp. Now, you may have already discovered HipCamp. This isn't something new. But HipCamp is kind of cool because not only does it list parking places, it usually lists commercial parking places. So like campgrounds and things like that. That's what it's really good at. But some of the campgrounds it lists aren't commercial campgrounds. For example, I found one not too far from the property I have in central Illinois, north central Illinois. It's kind of the same kind of property, except this guy rents it out. And um, he want to come camp there? Come on! And he just says, yeah, you can camp here. He does charge a fee for that. And he tells you what you're going to get. You know, there's this tent site with a view of the water. You have to be self-contained, etc. And and Hip Camp 
lists them in a nice, easy to find format. And a lot of the other sites don't. Also, HipCamp seems to be much better curated, whereas iOverlander is crowdsourced. You really don't know what you're going to get. You just kind of have to trust that the reviews are accurate. HipCamp seems much more managed and much more trustworthy. So I recommend you add HipCamp to your quiver of site-finding implements. It's not going to be the one and only you use, I don't think, but it definitely could help you in those problem times where you know you have to be somewhere at a certain time and don't know where you're going to park. HipCamp might just find something you haven't discovered on your own. Well, folks, thanks very much for listening to episode 158. Again, we will be having some strange content coming up in the next couple of weeks as I will be doing this a little differently. But after that, I'm going to announce something even bigger. Music, as always, is by Simon Wegg. And until next time, remember the words of somebody anonymous, because I can't find out who said this. But they said, when you fully trust someone without any doubt, you finally get one of two results. A person for life or a lesson for life. <laughs>